Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Manual Podcast. My name is Abby Chow. I'm a marriage and family therapist, an ADHD certified clinical services provider, and a proud ADHDer. This is a podcast for people with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and those who love us, which covers pretty much everybody. Growing up with a colorful brain in a black and white world can make us feel like aliens. The manual we were given to guide us through life doesn't have any diagrams of the parts we have. I've decided to stop throwing away my parts and start throwing away this useless manual to write my own. So kick off your shoes, have a seat, and take a break from fitting yourself into a mold that's not your shape. You belong here. Allies, welcome to the ADHD planet. ADHDers, welcome home. Hello friends, um, and happy Pride. Yay, it's June. Um, so I was thinking about what, um, what to do my next, um, you know, ADHD and sex related video on. Um, and I thought, well, since it's pride, I, um, I imagine a good topic might be, um, sexual orientation. Um, and as someone who is queer and, um, and neurodivergent, um, I think, uh, last year I did, you know, the series on, um, like interviewing a lot of people about what it means to be both queer and neurodivergent, um, which was fascinating, um, and, and yeah, so that was really fun, um, but I thought, well, wouldn't it be, um, wouldn't it be fun and, and, uh, a good opportunity to use this Patreon as a way to more, um, go more in depth with my own story, um, and, uh, you know, just elaborate on things that I've said in the past. For example, like I, I've said um, that I think if I were diagnosed and treated um, sooner, I think I would have come out uh, sooner. Um, and I think uh, a lot about my... Um, I feel that a lot of my kind of uh, um, identity discovery um, might have been simpler. Um, so, so yeah, so I just thought that, um, I would maybe just take that opportunity to dwell on that thought a little more, like, um, you know, reflect on like what, what role did being neurodivergent have in my, um, journey to, um, to, uh, my, sexual orientation and the identity that I, um, that I, uh, relate to now. So, yeah, so I've been thinking about that. Um, and because this is, yes, sorry, I'm just telling me that Jeopardy is later because of basketball, so I won't miss it. (laughs) Um, uh, because this is kind of like a more personal topic and there's definitely some parts that are a little more emotionally charged, um, I did pretty much 
write out a lot of what I wanted to say. So um, that's what this is. So yeah. So anyway, so um, these are my personal reflections on being queer and um, neurodivergent um, and having ADHD. Um, so, okay. When I try to think about how to summarize and order my, um, my story into like a format that would directly speak to the relationship between, um, my sexual orientation and my neurotype, um, in a way that, that was on topic. Um, I, at first I thought that this, um, obviously I had a lot of trouble doing that. Like, how do I summarize my whole story um, to stay on a particular topic. And at first I thought it was difficult because, um, both ADHD and trauma, um, prevent us from like seeing time linearly, linearly, is that a word? In a linear fashion. Um, and identifying which details are relevant and which are not relevant. Um, you know, both those things kind of impact the ability to do that. Um, so I thought that's why that was hard. Um, and in the past, you know, I, like I said, I speculated I would have come out sooner, um, if I had been diagnosed and treated earlier. Um, and, uh, and maybe that's true. I mean, we have no way of knowing, um, until we have like access to all those like multiverses of what would have happened if we made different decisions. Um, which is a reference to everything, everywhere, all at once which I just saw recently, and it's an incredible movie, and I might talk about it at a later date, because um, I thought, I saw a ton of neurodivergent, um, just stuff. Um, anyway, so, yeah, see it. Um, but anyway, the, the deeper truth to all of this is that our, our stories are, like, so much more complicated than that. It's so much more complicated than just picking a topic and sticking to it, you know? It's like, um, they don't have like a natural flow. They don't have, uh, you know, they don't follow a, a, a thesis statement or like a, a theme, you know, they just are, you know, it's just like a compilation of everything that's happened to us. You know, of course it doesn't fall into, um, you know, a particular pattern all the time, you know, sometimes it just is. And, and living is really just like rewriting our narratives over and over until like they make enough sense to calm us down, you know? So that's kind of where I ended up. And so I think, um, I'm going to try to pick out the parts of my story that I feel, um, that I feel like I would include if someone were to just ask me, like, do you think, um, how do you think being neurodivergent, um, influenced, your, um, coming out story and your, um, sexual identity journey, you know? Um, so I tried to do that, but it's, I mean, the, my initial response was like, yes, it definitely impacted, um, and being treated would have greatly, um, altered my coming out story. So my first impulse, but the truth is, is that, um, it's not that simple. And it's not, um, it's not really a yes or no answer. I mean, it is a, it is a yes answer in the sense that absolutely would have impacted it. But the truth is, is that there were so many other contexts going on, um, 
you know, it was like, it was like there was like a ton of different like narrative threads, you know, and they all like, uh, you know, wove together to create the story that I have. Um, and if any one of those threads would have been a little different, um, I, uh, I feel like I would have ended up in the same place. Um, but it would have been a, a very different, um, path. So, so anyway, all that to say, like, um, I, I wanted to, to package my, my story into like a neat little box. Um, but I realized, you know, I should have known this, but you know, my life doesn't fit in a box. I mean, none of ours does. It's like, yeah, it's much bigger than that. And anyway, so I'm just going to tell, um, a little, a few snippets of like what my journey was like and, um, and you can make of it what you will. I mean, it's, it's all a work in progress. Um, and yeah, I mean, thanks in advance for, for listening if you do. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's begin at the beginning. Okay, so an experience I think many people, um, many neurodivergent people can relate to is that, like, growing up, um, neurodivergent, probably diagnosed or not, but especially undiagnosed, um, is just, like, to experience constantly um, being questioned and constantly having your internal signals, um, like, overridden or silenced, right? Um, so things along those lines is things that I learned were rest was something I I had to earn and I never really felt like I did enough to earn it. Um, I learned I was oversensitive and like loud sounds and, um, you know, overpowering smells and uncomfortable textures and bright lights. Like those are things that couldn't, um, that couldn't hurt me. And so I just, uh, had to live with them and it was more important, um, to not inconvenience other people, um, because those things were just kind of treated as things that, that weren't really dangerous to me. And so I just had to like, let it go. Um, you know, things I heard were like, um, you know, in terms of like my own internal signals and, um, you know, things like that. The messages I heard were things like, you know, I know you can do this, you know, after I said, like, I can't, I feel like I can't do this. Um, and, and also like I learned that using up your entire energy reserve, um, and then some was doing your best. Like that's what doing your best meant. (laughs) Um, and that it was the expectation and the norm. Um, so because of all of this and, and other stuff too, it's, uh, I think, um, many of us, but my experience is that I think I became especially susceptible to, um, internalizing who others thought I was, you know, I don't think, um, uh, I had a chance to form my own identity because it was, um, I just collected what people told me, you know, I relied on others to tell me like what I was good at, um, what I knew, um, even what I remembered, you know, um, 
and what I was experiencing. So um, a lot of it was just uh, having an, an unstable identity, you know, because it, it was all hinging on other people and what, um, and not really having an internal sense of what is normal. So relying on other people to tell me. Um, and so like, and obviously, so in, in adolescence, especially, and even adulthood, like no one really knows who they are, right? Like that's a ridiculous question. If you were to ask someone like, you know, what's your identity? What, who are you really? Um, I think no one would really have like a good answer to that. Um, but, uh, I feel like my self-doubt extended much further back than that. You know, it, it was like, um, it all the way back to childhood, you know, like I've said, there's a lot of like, like I have never wanted to go back to childhood, <laughs> you know, like, and I always didn't really know how to explain that because it's not like I had a horrible childhood. It's not, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, I, my parents are awesome and they did their best and they love me so much. And I had a lot of opportunity. Um, and so like, I never really knew how to explain it when I would say like, no, I like, I never had those moments of like wistfulness for childhood, like of like, you know, I don't, I can't even remember a time when I didn't have, you know, any responsibilities. Like that is totally foreign to me, you know, um, even like not paying bills didn't feel a lot better, you know, because I had, I always felt like this immense responsibility to like, to uphold everything to keep everything together all the time and to keep track of what I was supposed to be doing and how I was supposed to act and who I was supposed to be at every minute. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, so the, and then of course, you know, adolescence comes with its own kind of doubt and, you know, wanting to belong and not feeling like anyone understands me, you know, like that's of course all a very, um, normal and real and valid and, um, maybe even universal, uh, universal sense of what, um, uh, what it means to be a teenager. Right. But, um, as I was, um, talking to, uh, my therapist, um, uh, they said something about like, you know, I feel like that this kind of belief as like a teenager of this feeling of no one understands me, um, I feel like that's pretty typical teen feeling, but I feel like what's unique to being neurodivergent is that for one, it extends way farther back, um, all the way to childhood. And it's not really feeling like no one understands me. Um, it's not that alone. It's also, there's something wrong with me. So I think that really, um, sums up a lot of it is that I felt like I always felt like there was something wrong with me. Um, and the more I thought about it, like that's a very neurodivergent experience, but it's also a really core queer experience. Um, especially if you had, um, you know, other, other factors or influences that, um, you know, were either explicitly or implicitly communicating that, um, being gay was bad. Um, being transgender was bad, you know, like, um, so I think, I think that a lot of that we all get, um, just being part of this culture and society. But, um, anyway, so I started to think like, oh, okay. Yeah. Those two things were like, so I feel like that feeling of there's something wrong with me was just, um, 
doubled or quadrupled or whatever you want to say because um because it was also like my brain there's something wrong with my brain but also there is just something wrong with the way that I am um coming to terms or or uh there's something wrong with um my I don't know but what I like what I who I like who I spend time with who um you know, there is a, a prescribed or there is a normal thing that I'm, I'm supposed to want to do right now. And, um, and if I don't want it, then there's something wrong with me. So I think uh, a parallel between like um, neurodivergence and um, queerness is that like my, my journey how they um, kind of parallel each other is because I think in both senses, um, I have, um, I have just um, expanded, or I am expanding in both, both of those ways, you know, I feel like, kind of at the beginning, like, um, you know, I, I feel like for a long time, I had like a very narrow view, and I had a very like small box to put myself in, to put my identity in, to put my abilities in, to put, um, you know, my, my fears and insecurities and, um, sensory sensitivities, you know, like, I feel like I had a, like a really small box and, um, and I'm finding like the more that I learn about, um, ADHD and neurodivergence and the more I connect with other people in my community, like the more I realize that like my, our, world is so much bigger than I had realized and it is so much more um complex than just saying you know I'm neurotypical or I'm neurodivergent like it's such a bigger um you know it just it's just multitudes of everything and I feel the same way about my queerness you know I feel like I started in a way that I felt very rigid and very small and um very confined um and as I just keep living it's just kind of just walking knocking down like those those like walls just one by one and just making it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger so I think in a lot of ways like um um just being asking if I'm attracted to men or women it's like it's too small it's too simple it's like it's actually much more complicated than that it's bigger than that and I feel the same way about being asked like well are you neurotypical or are you neurodivergent it's it's actually much bigger than that um and obviously like there's there's an answer to both of those questions but um in the ways that um when you when you start thinking about like identity and who I am then um it's just really it's it's big and it's just getting bigger so so yeah, so I think um, my last like memory that I wanted to like um, close with is like in a way that I think kind of ties together my uh, like the queerness and or sexuality and um, neurodivergence is like so my senior year of college um, I took a class um, in human sexuality. Um, and for our final paper, we had to, like, basically write a sexual history, um, which sounds dirty, but <laughs> it was more about, like, you know, just um, 
questions about like how um how uh how you've come to terms with your own sexuality you know answering questions about you know like gender and sex and and your values and things like that so um and it was a very like personal reflective paper um anyway so it was anonymous um for the professor and what uh so I kind of like I went all out um and um and the way I started the paper was um I said, sometimes I feel like I was born with shame in my pockets. Um, (laughs) And, you know, obviously, originally I started that because, you know, I was talking about, you know, sexuality and how I've always kind of been taught that that's like a shameful thing, especially out of marriage. And it's not something you should like, you know, take lightly. And it's not something you dally in, you know, like um, that's why I, I used that. I started with that sentence, but... I've been thinking about that recently. For some reason, it just came into my head. And, like, actually, um, I feel like it's true, but it's it's actually much bigger than sexuality. I do feel like um, I, I was born with shame in my pockets just because of, you know, um, how much being neurodivergent um, has, you know shaped me and how much shame I carried around just for being different and just for being like, um, thinking differently and seeing things differently and having different abilities and, um, yeah. So it just made me think about like what that's, I feel like that is kind of maybe in in summary, the ways that I connect, um, um, sexual identity and, uh, neurodivergence is that I think both, um, both journeys have, um, have involved just carrying around shame for a really long time and just, um, you know, it's actually like, (laughs) Like, the shame on my pockets isn't, like, just one, like, like package, you know? It's actually, like, um, a thousand or a million tiny little pebbles, you know? Each one by itself is not heavy. Um, but you put them all in your pockets and your pants start to fall down, <laughs> you know? Like, um, and I think that's probably um, a way to, to summarize my journey, both with... Um, you know, being queer and being neurodivergent. It's just like picking out these pebbles from my pockets one by one, just kicking the shame out one little piece at a time. The only thing I can say to finish it out is that I'm, um, I'm really happy with where I am in my identity as both a queer person and as a neurodivergent person. Um, and, um, it's been rocky for sure. I think, um, I think a lot of people may be, um, uh, justifiable reasons, um, kind of reject the idea of like, um, making something your identity or, um, picking a, a label or something. Um, I know I've talked about this before, but, um, and if you don't like labels, that's totally up to you. That's fine. Um, I know for me, um, 
finding, um, claiming an identity as a queer person and claiming an identity as a neurodivergent person um, has finally given me a sense of stability that I didn't have before. Um, and not only has it, you know, helped me kind of um, connect with others and um, un, uh, discard a lot of feelings of, you know, like shame and a lot of like things that I internalize as flaws. I think it's helped me get rid of a lot of those. That's part of it. And it's all, but it's also just like, um, it's, uh, it feels like a foundation, you know, like I feel, um, I feel like these identities have given me a, um, yeah, a, a platform on which to, to build myself, um, and a, um, a safety to continue creating my identity. Um, so yeah, so that's, I guess what that means to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I'll leave with that. Um, again, thank you. Thanks for hanging in there and, um, I'll see you later. That's all for this episode, but there is plenty more at my website, theadhdmanual.com. That's T-H-E-A-D-H-D-M-A-N-U-A-L.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit at The ADHD Manual. Do you have a question, comment, or story? Then I want to hear it. Email me at theadhdmanual at gmail.com. Very special thank you to my brother, Joe Miner, for composing this theme music. And thank you so much for listening. And remember to be kind to yourself. See you next time.